I say to folks, I am not perfect, but I do believe that my vision for turning our city around is close to perfect. I'm Dan Diamond. This is Pulse Check, and that was former Baltimore Mayor Catherine Pugh in happier times about a year ago, delivering a commencement address at University of Maryland University College. Pugh resigned as mayor last week after a scandal involving the state's largest hospital system came to light. Pugh had quietly sold more than 100,000 copies of her self-published Healthy Holly children's books to local hospitals and others, even while she was reviewing deals involving those organizations. In a moment, you'll hear from the Baltimore Sun reporter who first broke the story, Luke Broadwater. It was a stunning scandal that's gotten national attention. We reference Luke's articles as well as other news coverage, so make sure to check the show notes. All right, here's our conversation. I'm joined now by Luke Broadwater. Luke, welcome to Politico Pulse Check. Thanks so much for having me. You wrote the first story in what turned into a multi-month series that led to Baltimore's mayor resigning. What did you originally find, and how did you find it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you're <laughs> when you're a working journalist, you always you get lots of tips and suggestions all the time. Some of them pan out, and some of them don't. Um, this one originated. I was it was I believe a Sunday, and I got a call from a state senator from West Baltimore, and she said. Luke, I'm having a terrible time uh, with with a constituent in my district. He says he has been trying to get work with the University of Maryland medical system. He's a minority contractor. He can't seem to get any work. Um, he sees other people on the board. Uh, I'm sorry, working doing work for the medical system, and he thinks he's more qualified than them. And he thinks the process seems really insidery and opaque and uh, something seems amiss here. Can, can you look into it for me? And I said, yeah, sure, Senator. Um, so, you know, sometimes things, <laughs> sometimes tips pan out and sometimes they don't. The next day I called, um, or, or actually I emailed the University of Maryland Medical System and I asked them some questions about their contracting practices. And I said, can I have the names of all your board members uh, who have contracts with the system Can I have how much the contracts are worth, what services they're providing, and can I have um, whether they were bid or no bid contracts? And they said, we're not going to give you any of that information. And so I said, oh, okay. All right. (laughs) Let's uh, let's see about that. So I started calling around to people I, you know, people in the know, people who would have um, some idea about how this hospital network works. And and to, um, and to just underline it, this hospital network is one of the biggest employers in all of Baltimore and Maryland. More than twenty five thousand people that's work right. for University yeah. of Maryland. Health I think system. it's about twenty eight thousand people, and they they take in more than four billion dollars in revenue from their patients. So this is a thirteen hospitals. It's a big network, and um, so it's very and they get lots of taxpayer money too. So it's very important that every dollar be spent wisely. It's a not for profit health system, so it's tax exempt. Doesn't have to pay taxes. That's right, and so. Um, Eventually, I got my hands on the documents on which board members had contracts with the system. And I'm flipping through them, and I stop on a name, and it's Catherine Pugh, the mayor of Baltimore. 
And I said, oh, wow. Um, so you didn't know that Mayor Pugh was potentially implicated in this until you were flipping through the pages. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was a surprise. And so I called up, um, I called Senator Carter, who had called me with the initial suggestion for a story. This is Senator Jill Carter. That's right. And I said, did, did you know the mayor's in here? And she said, oh, my God, no, I didn't. And Because she had been a supporter of the mayor. Um, and that sort of that really kicked everything off. We published the first story, not just about the mayor, but about uh, the eight other board members that had these contracts valued for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars with the hospital network they're supposed to be overseeing. Um, and uh, then, I mean, all hell broke loose. That first story was March 13th, quote, uh, University of Maryland Medical System pays members of volunteer board hundreds of thousands in business deals. That was your story. It will be in the show notes for listeners who want to see it. The Sun has since published more than 120 stories about the scandal in the past two months. The mayor resigned. The University of Maryland Health System CEO resigned. Other staff have resigned or been fired. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan is calling to shake up the entire hospital board. And, and I want to put some numbers around this book scandal. Ultimately, Catherine Pugh sold more than 130,000 books to University of Maryland, uh, Kaiser Permanente and others, and appears to have netted at least $800,000. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, we have some some information we've not been able to confirm that is potentially even bigger than that. But we have been able to confirm about $800,000 she was paid among various business entities for her self-published books. Um, m many of these, uh, in fact, all of them ended up uh, doing business with the city, uh, even a firm as far away as Chicago. Um, obviously, the University of Maryland Medical System has worked with the city, um, the Kaiser, Kaiser Permanente, Associated Black Charities, et cetera. Um, so, uh, and, uh, you know, the, when she was a state senator, she never disclosed the Healthy Holly LLC on her state uh, legislative ethics forums. And she also didn't recuse herself from some of the votes before the Board of Estimates, which were which awards contracts uh, to these companies that were, in fact, did have now a business relationship with her. Um, so, and then, you know, the, then the, the investigation went into other directions as well about whether the books were even ever published uh, or delivered to students. Um, and we, we learned that at least 200,000 of the books that, that uh, were ordered were never printed. Um, at least 200,000 books. Yeah, or I'm sorry. $200,000 worth of books. Yeah, yeah. So $200,000 of payments for books. I think it's about 40,000 books uh, were, never, were never printed. And the- Which raises um, the question, was anyone actually paying attention if 40,000 books somehow vanished into the ether? That's right. And, and um, the, uh, uh, the school system said that close to 10,000 of the books were sitting unread in a warehouse that, and they had sort of been dropped off and nobody had ordered them and nobody had asked for them. And they felt that um, they were not uh, of high enough quality to use for instruction. So they just sort of sat in a warehouse. Um, have you read any of these books? I have. Do you have a copy? Not, not with me. <laughs> I, I wish you brought one. But <laughs> the, the, these yeah. are, these are yeah. children's books that are written uh, at, at – it's kind of an unclear target audience. They're very simple. 
the book critic for The Washington Post, Carlos Lozada, who literally just won a Pulitzer Prize, Pulitzer Prize book critic, reviewed the Healthy Holly books, was not charitable in, in his yes. uh, assessment. And I think, you know, famously, you know, I haven't gotten into this too much with the reporting because I don't want to seem like snarky or something, but the... Um, uh, you know, John Oliver is is allowed to snark where I have to sort of play it straight. And he highlighted on his show how his HBO weekly show. Yeah. How vegetable is spelled wrong in the books. It says it's vegetal and um, how, you know, the one of the main characters name is spelled different ways at different points in the book. Um, there are lots of grammatical problems. So, you know, well, maybe I, it's not just a healthy book. It's also supposed to test your, your grammatical skills and, and fact-checking. I mean, that, really, we should be giving the mayor credit for working so much. And I, I want to just get back to this this number of books that were sold to hospitals. It is a humongous number, over 100,000 books. Mm-hmm. For context, I looked at Publishers Weekly, which ranks the number of book sales around the country. Uh, last week, the number one best-selling hardcover book, fiction or nonfiction book, was by Michelle Obama. She sold over 20,000 copies of her memoir, Becoming. Uh, on the children's book bestseller list, Goodnight Moon, a classic children's book, sold about 5,900 copies. So to, to sell over 100,000 copies of, of a book, that makes you one of the bestsellers in, in your field. Absolutely. If this was not a self-published book with direct deals and this was something in the bookstores and it sold that many, she would have, she would have been number one on the bestseller list. Absolutely. Watching from D.C., this story was catnip for me. A big focus of my reporting has been around not-for-profit hospitals and the potential abuse of what they call community benefits. So a not-for-profit hospital could invite a famous speaker, could throw a a gala event, could pay for a a charity run, and just write all of that off as explanation for why they need tax-exempt status. And these books were labeled as grants by the hospital, correct? Yes, this is another problem that we've uncovered, which is um, in different places in their tax forms, they described it in different ways. One year, the hospital network described it as a grant to the school system, which of course said they didn't ask for the books. And then another year, they described it as a grant to the mayor's private company, Healthy Holly LLC. So it was so unclear within the hospital network itself about what they were actually doing here. Um, that their own tax preparers didn't know how to categorize this deal and did it different ways, different years. And and yet for years it went unreported. But before we get much further about scrutinizing this, this scandal, I should probably make some disclosures of my own. I'm from Baltimore. I, I interned at The Sun when I was in high school. My mom was on one of the University of Maryland hospital boards oh, wow. years ago. Okay. I, I don't know if, if you knew that in your I, I, did, I did not know this. Yeah. 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 As, as far as I know, she did not get anything out of it other than hanging out with Catherine Pugh for a day in, in Florida. But that's that's her story to tell. Okay. Uh, and, and Luke, you and I have a connection. Um, we briefly went to school together yes. more than 20 years ago. We rode the bus together. Miss Karen. <laughs> you remember better than me. But yeah, I, I, I said to you, I, I want to know who else was on that bus. Like, was there a Washington Post bureau chief, you know, sitting a, a row behind us? I don't remember talking about journalism with you. I think we talked about like snap bracelets and, and troll dolls. <laughs> well, but, we, we were a little bit more immature back then. so uh, It's debatable. <laughs> but it was it was delightful to see your name all over this, this story. And the sun has really just kicked butt uh, breaking this news. Some of the other weird twists over this two-month scandal... At the press conference where Mayor Pugh apologized, this was over a month ago, she also brought out Healthy Holly baby clothing and paraphernalia. Uh, since that press conference, she has not been seen in public, correct? That's she, right. That's she, right. 
had been recovering from pneumonia and, and retreated to her house. Uh, her lawyer said she wasn't lucid enough to resign. And finally, when he delivered the resignation statement, he, he did it on her behalf. No, no one has seen her. Um, and meanwhile, Maryland Speaker of the House, and you cover the, the State House, the Speaker of the House, who sat on the hospital board but was also pushing legislation to reform it, he died of pneumonia himself about halfway through the scandal. Mm-hmm. Am, am I missing any other weird, unusual twist from the past two months? Yeah, well, I don't know about weird or unusual, but that was, I mean, there was. it's been such a whirlwind of surreal events. Um, I mean, you know, you're talking about the death of Speaker Bush he, before, before he died. And I think when he said this, it really amplified for people the magnitude of this. Um, whole case, but he said it was the greatest scandal in the history of the legislature, and he had been the long-serving speaker. I mean, like I think, thirty-five years. Yeah, he'd been the legislature for, for uh, yeah, f- for I think thirty years or so, and the he was the speaker for sixteen years. So uh, to say that, I think really um, underscored for people the magnitude of this. And then he introduced reform legislation, emergency reform legislation, which did quickly pass and was signed into law by the governor. And it would ban a lot of these practices and make them illegal that the board was doing. The self-dealing practices where you couldn't sit on the board and also have a deal with the hospital system. That's correct. But yeah, the mayor, you know, the mayor gave her one press conference. She was obviously very sick at the time. Um, She was speaking in a low voice. Uh, she was hard to understand. Um, that's when she admitted she hadn't printed all of the books that were ordered. Um, and then she brought out her, I guess, a brand extension of Healthy Holly and started laying out the baby clothes. And I think observers of Baltimore politics are going to remember that moment for a long time. I mean, that was I, I, I just remember watching it and thinking, I, I can't believe this is happening in front of our eyes. That, all all yeah. press is good press, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> Got to grab the opportunity so, when it's in front of you. So, yeah, it's been bizarre. Now, of course, I did a piece over the weekend about what it was like inside her Ashburton home as she was holed up for the past month and deciding whether or not to resign. And, um, you know, so I talked with a lot of her friends and allies who went to visit her during that time. And she's just been in complete emotional distress over the whole thing. So it's, uh, you know, it's. Sad to watch. Yeah. She was on a podcast with Politico's editor, Carrie Budoff Brown, on our Women Rule podcast. I want to say it was about a year and a half ago, two years ago. I remember listening to this podcast, and Mayor Pugh at, at the time talked about this was her dream job. This was the the pinnacle of her career. I think she's in her, her late 60s. She'd been kind of building toward this politically for several decades. Um, so, so certainly understandable on some level that that it's unclear where she will go after this. I want to flip this around, though. We've been talking about the problems with this scandal. Is it possible that it came out of good intentions, where hospital leaders thought these books have a health-focused message? Uh, Catherine Pugh is a prominent leader in the African-American community. Maybe we're, we're helping a local success story. Or was it truly graft, where Pugh was crafting bills to benefit the hospital and her other clients. So w- what you just said was the argument that the CEO made when he came down to Annapolis the first day, because uh, initially they tried to push back against the story and say, you know, this is all above board. The CEO of the hospital. Correct. Who, you know, has now resigned um, from a job where he was paid $4.3 million. Um, so he he came down and he said, this is a win-win situation. Yes, it was no bid. Yes, it was a sole source contract, but there's no other book like it. And it's an extension of our 
of our mission to uh, promote the health uh, of African-American kids. And this is what the mayor was offering with her book. And so that is the argument he made. That, that may be a persuasive argument to some people. I think other people looked at it and said, she is not the only author out there who's writing children's books about healthy living that African-American kids could benefit from. Um, you know, I actually know of a couple other authors in Baltimore who have done uh, very nice books. Um, and how, you know, if they really wanted to do this book for, for kids and they wanted to give it to the school system, who again didn't ask for it, um, should they have bid it out? Should they have uh, commissioned a, a young artist to do this? Should they have, um, you know, there are a number of different ways you could have approached it that would have been in other people's eyes, a fair and open process where the the highest qualified person won, the person most deserving, not just a, not just looking around the board and saying, who wants to make a deal? Should they have made sure that the books were being produced, delivered, and being read? Yes. Which you seems have, to be a baseline you for- You would have a real interest in um, making sure those hands, the books did get in the hands of kids. If you thought they were so educational, you would have wanted to see that they were distributed, how they were, who got them when they were printed, all that stuff. And then the the hospital network has admitted on record that they didn't never checked on any of that stuff and didn't really think it was their job to do so. University of Maryland has gotten the bulk of attention because of buying the bulk of the books, but Kaiser Permanente also bought some number of books as well and had a deal in front of the city at the same time. Now, Kaiser Permanente has said, our relationship with Baltimore City dates back decades. This has not influenced any any dealings is that true have you found anything to the contrary well you know there's there's um it's a situation where whether or not it influenced the vote of the of the uh, board of estimates which which is controlled by the mayor to award this 48 million dollar contract to kaiser um the fact that the other that t- t- top city officials did not know that they were paying the mayor you know a hundred thousand dollars to buy her books at the same time they're seeking this contract, uh, that's concerning to folks. So, um, you know, I don't know. Would they have won it without without the gift buy? Maybe so. Without without the book purchase, maybe they would have. But uh, the fact is people were unaware of this and, um, you know, it should have been disclosed and made public, I think, at the time of the voting. At least that's what ethics experts say. You've made a career out of covering Baltimore's and Maryland's influential people and institutions. Where do hospitals rank as power players? I would say extremely important. Um, Baltimore's economy is an eds and meds economy. Uh, It didn't used to be that way. It used to be an industrial economy. Uh, We lost Bethlehem Steel. We lost a lot of the manufacturing jobs we once had. There's been a gutting of the middle class in the city tremendously. And unfortunately, in in the place of the gutting of of the industrial economy, as really uh, the drug trade has risen to replace a lot of those jobs. The illegal drug trade. Yes, the illegal drug trade has risen to replace a lot of those jobs. And then um, also, uh, we've become much more focused on uh, our hospitals and our universities because those are sort of the um, shining institutions that are left in the city. So we have very good hospitals. We have very good. Uh, institutions of higher learning and law schools and and Hopkins, et cetera. And uh, so, uh, yes, so they they carry a lot of influence and a lot of power in the city because of how important they are. Yeah. Say what you will about Baltimore and its crime and corruption. You mentioned the drug trade, obviously, The Wire, the HBO series about Baltimore and other 
TV shows about Baltimore are focused on the drug problem, but at the same time, Johns Hopkins Health System may be the best hospital system in the world sure. in downtown Baltimore. University of Maryland, another great hospital system. MedStar, those three are among the top five largest employers in the Baltimore area. What sorts of new regulations are coming for Maryland hospitals? So um, the first, obviously, we had since this story broke in the middle of the session, there was emergency legislation that was rushed through middle that, of the state legislature session. Yes, yeah. that that um, deals uh, only with the University of Maryland medical system that bans no bid contracting among board members. It demands a independent audit. Um, it. Uh, requires them to file financial disclosure forms that are sent to the governor, to the um, Speaker of the House and the Senate president, et cetera. But talking with um, legislative leaders, uh, they don't want to stop there. And I think they want to take a look at some of the other uh, boards uh, and commissions around the state um, with health care, but also with public-private entities like, um, you know, for instance, the Baltimore Development Corporation or different things that have a public – a public purpose, but also a, a private status. So, um, you know, the University of Maryland medical system started as it was the public hospital and the public hospital got privatized. It got spawned out into this, this sprawling network of hospitals. And uh, but it still had still received taxpayer dollars. It's it's members of the board were still appointed by the governor. It had politicians sitting on the board. So there was this overlap where you have a public it's a quasi-public-private institution, and the, it created a messy situation um, that there wasn't probably good enough oversight, and you have what we have today. And I should should stress that, yeah, the most powerful people in Baltimore and Maryland were serving on these hospital oh, boards. Oh, yeah, it was a who's who. Yeah, yeah and, and somehow my mom, who was not on the major Maryland hospital <laughs> board, she was on one of the smaller hospital boards for Maryland General, one of the less less prominent public hospitals as part of this, like, 12-hospital network. The number of hospitals beyond Maryland health system that, that have sweetheart deals. Have you found any in Maryland? Oh, so we have looked at other hospitals, um, and we've done some reporting around this. Actually, a, a, another colleague of mine at the paper did this story, so I don't know it as intimately. Um, and I will say, you know, it wasn't just, after I do, broke the first, first story and did stay on top of this, I had a tremendous amount of help on this story from throughout the newsroom. We had a really great team effort. Uh, but yes, there were other hospitals that did have contracts with their uh, board members. And if you talk to... Um, if you talk to experts in this field, they say it's not terribly uncommon for this to happen. That um, you know, but it needs to be disclosed. Uh, it needs to have a proper vetting and oversight, and it has to be for legitimate services. So, I mean, the thing that people are focusing on in the University of Maryland case is that a lot of the board did not know this was going on. They felt they were kept in the dark, um, and we do know that um, the. Uh, new CEO testified in Annapolis that the um, it appeared the old CEO had sort of cut these deals one-on-one -on -one with individual board members and, and and the rest of the board didn't necessarily know about it so the the reform legislation says any all any contract with a board member has to receive a has to go through a competitive process and it has to uh, receive the full vote of the entire board so that is um you know some of the things that are are being reformed. And it will be interesting to see the follow-up impact of your story, not just in Baltimore, but beyond as other reporters likely look to their hospitals and their boards 
for yes. potential malfeasance. Has anyone contacted you from other states? Uh, no, no, no reporters have saying they're doing something similar. But I have had some conversations with um, a hospital chief of staffs who uh, who rushed to see what uh, you know what their what their boards were doing. We better not be doing this. Like, what are we doing? Yes, you know, in these these panic frenzied things. Now, I don't want to say that every single person that has a contract with the with the me- medical system is doing something wrong or immoral. I mean, you could have legitimate services. I mean, some people have a contract already that was competitively bid. They're asked to then join the board. They join it. So, it, it, you know. There are ways to um, to do it above board. Correct. Part in the choice of words, but yes, when you have these powerful people, powerful hospital institution, it's almost impossible in some cities to totally disconnect. It's just it needs to be out in the open, not in the back. That's room. right. It, there needs to be extra, like extra disclosures, extra steps to make sure the public is aware about it. Um, especially when those entities are then going to come seek, seek taxpayer dollars or contracts with the city or the state. Um, people need to know exactly who's getting what benefit. Before we wrap, I, I wanted to talk about the journalism for a bit. Over the past two months, how many Sun reporters have worked on this investigation? 15, 20? That sounds about right. So at least more than 10. Um, you know, we don't have a huge newsroom. Uh, How big is your newsroom? Not not too big. A <laughs> hundred people? Uh, I th- it, it may still be that big if you count sports and, and business and features. Um, so smaller than a hundred, 80 oh, people, yeah. uh, 60 There's probably people. 20 Metro reporters, um, and we're really a Metro paper. So um, we, uh, I mean, just about everybody in Metro, I think, tried, you know, got in on this story to some extent. Um, and, and beyond, there was the arts reporter who reviewed the self-published book industry. The, oh, that's right. The media yes. critic who talked yes. about the media coverage. So yeah, this has been... It was a total team effort. It was a huge collaboration. Um, one of the things we do well at The Sun is when there is a big story, we try to own it. And so we we throw everybody on it. Um, and uh, we do have, a, I think, a really good you know, I, I understand at some bigger papers, there's a lot of internal conflict about who gets a byline or who, um, you know, who, uh, who reporters are competing against each other in the same newsroom. And we we don't have the we don't really have the luxury of doing that. We all have to act as a team because uh, if we're fighting amongst ourselves, it's just going to take forever. You know, the, the paper doesn't get out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did any politician ever call you fake news or try and stop the investigation in some way? I think in the very beginning, the mayor called it a witch hunt, uh, which was reminiscent of Donald Trump. Um, she she said that not to me, but to a different reporter who had called her. That was probably the closest thing to that. I think the very first story, the first day, uh, this, the old CEO tried to object to some of the language. He he didn't like the word deals. He wanted it to be changed to business relationships. I told him, you know, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Like a deal, pick, pick a different battle. Yes, deals a good <laughs> word. Like yeah, uh, de- you know, deals a short newspaper word that represents an ex- a, a transaction. Uh, so we had a little pushback, but no, you know, I, I think w- what was stunning to watch is because, you know, frankly, I do a lot of stories where I uh, try to hold people accountable. I try to expose questionable activities, and lots of times you publish it and you hear crickets and nobody cares, and you think, okay, well. I guess guess that's not going anywhere. And but this one, the reaction was so swift and so dramatic. I mean, seven different investigations launched from federal to state to local. You know, CEO resigns, the mayor resigns, the entire board of directors 
is is forced to will be will be forced to resign. Emergency legislation is passed in Annapolis. The Speaker of the House calls it the greatest scandal in Maryland history. The Senate president calls it a disaster. The governor hauls in top executives to berate them. I mean, it's it's a. Uh, I've never seen I've never seen any reaction like this to any story I've ever done. So I've I've done some stories that have provoked uh, fallout and other stories that also have hit crickets. And my rough theory is that if if a scandal can be explained in in a headline, if it can be explained in that one sentence, then you've got a chance of it really impacting and and people latching on. And the scandal of books, which are, is a tangible mm-hmm. idea that that there might be dollars being exchanged for someone's book that probably doesn't deserve hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in purchases, people can latch on to that. A, a contracting scandal um, with with some esoteric uh, financial structure, that's a lot harder for people yeah, to wrap I their heads around. I think that's right. And so, um, you know, and, and frankly, I've struggled with this personally because I've, we've been trying to do tough reporting on the other board members as well. But it is, it's difficult to prove that, say, an insurance brokerage company is not necessarily doing the right job or whatever but you can you can look at books like you can look at the books in front of you and you can compare the books to other best selling offers and you can see that this was a tremendous benefit to this uh to this author it's the kind of thing where you can see images of Pew's book on John Oliver's HBO show and and the average person in Illinois can take away parts of the scandal whereas the more complex scandals are harder to travel um, and and that places an onus on the reporter to figure out a way to explain it in a yes. simple, pithy way. Right. Um, I, I wanted to end on on just Baltimore's level of political corruption, or or maybe lack thereof. The past number of mayors, the past five, uh, Mayor O'Malley, Martin O'Malley, ran the city for about eight years, resigned to be Maryland governor. I'm betting listeners know who he is because he ran for uh, the presidential nomination in 2016. He was followed by a woman named Sheila Dixon, who was convicted for a gift card scandal that she was keeping and using gift cards that should have been given to to others. Dixon resigned. She was replaced by um, uh, Stephanie Rawlings uh, Blake. Is that, is that correct? Stephanie Rawlings Blake, who was mayor when the Freddie Gray riots broke out, um, that cast a pall over the city. She didn't run for re-election. Then there was Pew, who's now resigned for the Healthy Holly scandal. And now there's a mayor named Jack Young, a longtime city councilman. My understanding, based on reading the Baltimore Sun, he wasn't even in Baltimore when when Pew resigned. And there was some frantic effort to try and get a hold of him. He was in Detroit. That's right. He was away on a conference. So he he had not been informed that she was about to resign. Seems like day. an inauspicious start to <laughs> the next May mayor. Well, people are hopeful that Jack Young will uh, will turn out to be uh, – to be a good mayor, but we'll we'll see. How screwed up is Baltimore's political system? Well, you know, Baltimore. You know, I don't think we're I don't think we're uniquely screwed up. I, you know, the um, you know we have had two out of the last three mayors uh, resign. <laughs> An important caveat. <laughs> resign from uh, from you know amid investigation. Uh, Sheila Dixon was actually charged with the crime. Mayor Pugh has not been not been charged with a crime. Um, Though there's a possibility of that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, well, she's under investigation anyway. Um, the, uh, you know, uh, and, and we've had, you know, I can remember, uh, you know, Nat, Nat Oaks, a state senator, just just was uh, is in federal prison right now. We had the police commissioner uh, who's, who's doing jail time over uh, 
failing to file his taxes. I mean, we've had we have had a lot of problems, but <clears throat> you know, I think you look around the country, you see you see problems everywhere. I actually did an interview with a, a, a French channel called me, and they said, "What's you know, what is it with a Baltimore and with America and all this corruption?" And and I said, "You know, I think we have a really robust free press." And we have we are on you like we're going to watch you. And if if you're doing something unethical, we're going to report on it and we're going to help expose it. And, um, you know, I, I think it's that as much as anything. You know, we have we do have a, a for better or worse, a pay to play system in America. We have, you know, private financing of campaigns that inevitably sets up a situation where you have big donors giving money to politicians when you get big gifts, you feel like you owe people. It's just human nature. And when you get when you give big gifts, you want something in return. And you have to be tremendously ethical not to fall prey to that system. And so it's set up that way. You have to have tremendously high ethics. And we have a really strong, robust free press that's watching you closely. And if you slip up, we're, we're going to be there. I will let you get back to finding the the unethical problems in our system and, and exposing <laughs> them. Luke, it was delightful to see you. Thanks for joining Pulse Check. Thank you. That's it for Pulse Check this week. My thanks to Luke Broadwater for joining the show and Mikhail Rodriguez for producing it. If you're a new listener, make sure to subscribe and rate Politico Pulse Check in your favorite podcast app. You don't even have to buy a book. Just go to Apple Podcasts or another podcast player to leave a review. And you can find a new episode of Pulse Check in your podcast player next week.